welcome to Beyond Bechdel, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera. I've been away for a little while and I don't know where the time has gone, frankly. I can probably mark it by all of the TV and films that I have watched. I went to the London Film Festival and saw some really good pieces of work, really varied which hopefully will be coming to screens this year and probably in 2022. I also sat at home and put my feet up and watched a lot of shows on Disney Plus primarily. And if you listen to the last episode about modern hard sci-fi, I saw Dune at the cinema in the IMAX, which was brilliant. And I also saw Foundation on Apple TV and Foundation just wrapped up its 10th episode uh, a week ago. If you want to get into that show, I would recommend listening to the podcast episode, see if it's for you. And I think it's one of the best things I've watched this year. Very moving. Yes, it has some heavy sci-fi in it, but it's still basically a story about people trying to find their way, even if it is set on planets other than Earth. It's just me this episode, so it won't be a super long one. And I only really have one subject that I want to talk about. I don't know if you have the same feeling, but sometimes I am into something, whether it's something I'm watching or something I'm doing or between you and me, a celebrity romance or a celebrity breakup and no one else seems to be interested in it or I certainly don't hear my friends discussing it or more likely check out the socials and see that no one's really talking about something online. And when that happens and it's something I really like, I feel (laughs) that I have to make a podcast episode about it, which of course is the natural way to behave in 2021. But if I think that the thing I'm into has a wider message than just I think this is good. And this is why this episode I wanted to talk about the premise. Firstly, I want to ask, how do you feel about unsolicited television show recommendations? (laughs) Because that's what this is. Although I suppose if you're listening to the episode, then you're used to me recommending things. I really enjoy it when people recommend things to me, as long as the person doesn't expect me to necessarily like what they recommend. And the reason why I bring this up is that The premise isn't going to be to everybody's taste. It's actually in parts a kind of distasteful show. But that's exactly why I like it. Because I'm always intrigued by shows where the premise, probably going to make that joke a lot through this, is something that is turned on its head. I think in the current times particularly, we have become so wedded to our devices and to the comfort that the big box provides that we've all seen so many more shows 
I've certainly rewatched things, which wasn't something I've done much in my life. I've watched a lot of shows that have been recommended by famous people or people on podcasts. And I don't always agree with their choices as well, but I, I give things a first episode go. And also, I just think I've scared, stared at a screen more often. So if you're thinking, oh God, something else to watch, then of course, the beauty of this being on Disney Plus is that this is a show that I'm guessing will remain on there for quite some time, depending on what sort of rights that have been negotiated for it. So I hope that this episode works as a reminder, but not something you have to urgently see. I just wanted to devote a whole episode to the premise because I hadn't heard a single person discuss it. And even the shows that I don't like or that people think are bad, there's obviously the concept of hate watching. And I think that a really good show can actually get lost in the sea of the good and the bad television that we have available to us. The premise isn't particularly difficult to watch and those of you who listen regularly will know that I actually like a really complicated mystery box show. It's actually a comedy which is something that I don't gravitate naturally towards because I can kind of feel when something has a kind of forced sense of humour. But this made me laugh and also made me think and entertained and delighted me. Hopefully this will work as an incentive for you to at least try an episode if you get the chance. Now for a spoiler alert. Before I go any further, let's talk about a trigger warning, which is I'm about to spend the rest of this episode discussing a TV show produced, directed and written by a straight white man. I think about this a lot when creating episodes because I don't think this falls strictly into what I want to champion on Beyond Bechdel. However, if we don't get the men at the top of the patriarchal cinematic tree involved in this. We will never ever be able to find true equality on and off screen. And I do believe that this is a show where the showrunner is thinking that they are willing to give up space to those who wouldn't necessarily be going straight through those wide open doors to make the things they want to. And this show is about turning the normal, usual and pretty much always patriarchal experience on its head. So hopefully you can bear with me. Thanks. I am going to try not to spoil the show too much, but most of the point of the premise is that each episode starts with a traditional premise, an idea, and then it gets turned on its head. So you know that how you'll feel by the end of the episode isn't probably how you felt about the issues discussed at the start. And I don't want to ruin that experience for anyone, but also to try and get you in, I think I need to describe why it is that I love the premise so much. Some other good news. 
There's only five episodes in the premise. I can't even remember the last time that happened. Maybe in some BBC dramas that I've watched. But I've watched plenty of shows that have like 22, 24 episodes. And suddenly that seems like a big commitment. So these episodes are around an hour in length and start a lot of famous people. What I haven't mentioned yet is that the show was written and created by BJ Novak who you will probably know from The Office, American version, and various work that he's done on comedy programs. I think he was on Punked, and he also is known for his relationship, friendship, whatever that might be, with Mindy Kaling, and has been on The Mindy Project and in shows like Community and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, all kind of relatively highbrow comedic shows. And this is his first thing, I think, with him as a showrunner. And I think he should make more stuff. Here's Novak explaining the premise of the premise. It's a half-hour anthology show of comedies. So the formula in the show is really to take the most outrageous premise that could possibly maybe happen in today's world and then play it out as honestly as could possibly be done and find the comedy. Let's talk about episode one. Episode one of the premise is called Social Justice Sex Tape. If you're of a persuasion that you don't like watching content that has sexual stuff in it then you might not like the premise and I have to be honest and say I don't like a lot of things I don't like really crass things I I feel they they hit me quite deeply that I feel um very awkward and so when I saw this title and there's another title of an episode coming later I kind of tensed and thought oh god do I want to watch this the only thing I know about sex tapes are you know Pam Anderson's uh Kim Kardashian's and the film sex tape uh, with Cameron Diaz uh neither of which is something that I particularly want to watch and I'll let you guess which one of those three I actually have watched might not be what you think Social Justice Sex Tape stars Ben Platt as a really obnoxious white guy. And this is where the premise comes into its own. It knows that we are making judgments about every character we see on TV now. We put people in boxes. We have gendered and other categories of people I think that if you're a straight white man on tv now that comes with a kind of a slightly negative connotation which is not necessarily wrong but in order to change the makeup of tv stories we have to get rid of the straight white man stories and to see that this story is centred around a straight white man might seem counterintuitive. But Ben Platt's character is an absolute dick who likes to make sex tapes with all his sexual partners. And he is brought into court by a legal team made up of Io Edaburi and Tracy Ellis Ross, who 
work for a kind of non-profit law firm which is trying to right social injustices, including many incarcerated black men who have been unfairly put in prison for crimes they either didn't commit or or under much more severe sentences. Jermaine Fowler plays one such person who is stuck in prison for apparently uh, hurting a white policeman. And he has always said that the policeman fell over and it had nothing to do with him and then sprained his arm and blamed it on him. Now he's in prison, which isn't funny at all. It's horrifying. But it gets funnier when Ayo's character realises that Ben Platt's character's sex tape is actually filmed across the way from where the incident occurred. And you may be able to guess the rest from this clip. What you see will shock you. It will disgust you. But if you are truly brave enough to look really carefully, you will see something equally upsetting. Injustice. It's nice to see two black women putting the whole of the white male privilege sex tape industry on trial and judged with very funny consequences. By the end of this first episode, I realised that the hubris that the characters hold will be undone by the end of the episode and everyone will be able to see the other side of an issue a little bit more clearly. There's even sympathy to be felt here. And we see three people of colour on screen who ultimately win out. And I think those kind of victories are probably fewer and further between in real life. So this is funny, it's moving, and it has something to say. These are the kinds of things that people talk about and text about and tweet about, but not the things that you see three-dimensional stories about. Episode two of The Premise was where things really kicked in for me because that's actually directed by BJ Novak, and I wasn't sure whether this was even a comedy. I would say of all the five episodes, this is the most dramatic. And it stars an actor I'm really enjoying at the moment, John Bernthal. So now again, you're thinking, hang on, Contreras now said two episodes in a row that are supposed to be helping people that are about straight white men. And uh, that is the case. And this one is about gun ownership. And it really kind of got me in the feels it's very clever in the way that it makes you look at the strength of gun love in America and the role of the NRA. Bernthal plays a character who goes to work for an agency which is basically the NRA under another name and he makes a friend in Boyd Holbrook who is another kind of account manager type character. And as the episode goes on, you realise that Bernthal has joined this gun company to help with its communications. And he's a very bright, savvy, left-leaning person who has set up shop in this very right-wing business because of events that have happened in his life. 
Now, this really is an episode where I don't want to say too much, but it's almost cloying psychological thriller at the same time as being really blackly humoured as Bernthal's character learns more and more about how the gun industry works and the way that it advertises to people and tells them things that they want to hear about safety. And he starts to kind of drink the Kool-Aid, it seems, and can make rational arguments about gun ownership when we're never quite sure what his personal opinion is. I was born to do this job. You're the PR guy. Let me show you around. I can be an extremely passionate advocate for this cause. It's a mesmerising, sympathetic take on why so many people in America are so pro-guns. And I think this is an episode which distills everything that the premise wants to be, which is not shying away from truths about people. And there are lots of people who probably consider themselves to be very kind and considered and good, and yet at the same time love their weapons and want to keep their weapons because they think they're keeping themselves and their families and other people safe. Now, we're about to move to the good stuff, which is, in my opinion, the more female-focused episodes, which star women and are written by female screenwriters and directed by female directors. But before I go straight to that, I thought I would read to you a couple of points from an article written by a journalist called Rebecca Nicholson, who works at The Guardian and whose writing I really enjoy. She has a completely different take on the premise than I have. And whenever somebody does that and, you know, we both think we're pushing forward the course of feminism, I have to look at that and examine whether I do like the premise for the right reasons or not. It becomes clear that Rebecca's review is only based on the first two episodes. And you may have listened to this part of the podcast and thought, yeah, I don't like those two episodes. I'm not interested in this. And I think that's why we have to keep going. And it's often the case with TV shows these days is that it takes a while to get into something for you to like the characters or enjoy the style or think that it's something that you might want to watch. That's certainly how I feel. And we haven't always got enough time to spend four or five hours deciding whether we like a show or not. And I quote, The premise of The Premise is vague enough to require an explanation from its creator, BJ Novak, before it begins. This two-camera introduction gives it an old-fashioned feel, which is jarring because it sets itself up as a very modern show. The episodes start to founder and grab at straws in trying to find the premise. And then I move on. Other themes are thrown up with little thought about where they will land. It is unpleasant viewing for all sorts of reasons. It left me feeling grubby rather than educated or provoked. And then right at the end, she says that the later premises, so she hasn't watched the three episodes when this was published, um, sound much more appealing and a far happier match between subject matter and tone. Now, I think if someone would have read this, they would have thought, why would I want to get through the first two episodes, (laughs) which are shit, and then listen to the later episodes so it just shows you that one of the reasons why I think the premise isn't doing very well or people aren't talking about it is when people were talking about it they only saw the first two episodes and they didn't like the tone that is fair enough 
Now, episode three. Welcome music star. Justin, where are you? To whoever is the valedictorian, you win. He can't offer sex as a prize. I gotta go study. This is called The Ballad of Jesse Wheeler and it stars Caitlin Deaver, who you might know from Unbelievable or Booksmart, and she's brilliant. And it also stars Lucas Hedges, a similar kind of indie darling having been in Manchester by the Sea and Ladybird and Boy Erased and recently French Exit. In this episode... Hedges plays a character who I think is based on Justin Bieber, who comes to his old high school and gives tries to give an inspiring talk to the soon-to-be graduating students. And he says, the student who becomes valedictorian in the final year of high school will be allowed to have sex with him. And Caitlin Diva plays a girl who couldn't care less about school, but she really likes Lucas Hedges' character. And she decides she's going to really try very, very hard to become valedictorian, which means obviously doing well in your school essays and your competitions, but also getting the vote from other students and, and generally adding something to the school. Uh, because she wants to shag him and I think it's such a interesting look at teenage girls and what they want and how they can be motivated and it has some really excellent tipping of stereotypes on their heads. For example, Grace Song plays the school kid who everyone thinks will become the valedictorian and she fits that horrible stereotype of the Asian exceptionally hard working and a little bit boring child and then it slowly transpires that maybe she doesn't want to be a valedictorian and maybe she doesn't want to follow the path that she's on to become the a doctor or do well in school and all of that pressure that she gets from her family and the episode is even more fascinating when it, get, it it quickly jumps to the end of term, which I thought was quite a bold move because I thought the whole episode would be about Diva trying to make it to see if she can be the valedictorian. And it's about this conversation between this former high school student who's now this very successful music artist and isn't really in touch with people and this bright, unmotivated bored girl who gets to actually have her dream come true technically and what does she actually want when she's put there and it also looks at our stereotypes about what we think she wants what we think he wants and the reason why she tried so hard diva's absolutely amazing in it both her and hedges are really good everybody in it is fantastic and i thought that for me, a person who finds euphoria too depressing and intense to watch, this was a better look at high school as being a place with full of pressure and lots of people wanting different things and trying to be put into these stereotypical groups, but also not being this place where people are constantly doing drugs, feeling th pressures into sex and kind of a little bit like Booksmart giving agency to teenagers and may not be as unable to break free from the pressures of being a teenager than a lot of other TV shows and movies suggest is the case. For me personally, my worst thing about high school movies, and boy have I watched a lot, 
is when they make high school out to be this terrible, dark place full of the worst possible groups of people. And again, I can only really go from my own experience and of my peers, I believe there is potential for all sorts of in-group, out-group stereotyping and getting into bad behaviours and being persuaded into things. But also, high school is so over-dramatised on screen that you'd think that every single day it's the worst thing for every single student and I don't believe that's the case. I believe that there are still plenty of good times to be had in school and it shouldn't turn into this hyper stressful kids fear for their lives that someone might bring a gun to school and again that might just be because I live in the UK and so I never had to worry about anything like that even the Dunblane incident is nothing as bad as what kids are going through nowadays who am I to say what happens in American high school but I think that directors and screenwriters owe it to people to their viewers not to constantly show high school to be the most dangerous place in the world and I think a little bit of a sense of humor and a little bit of understanding about what young people are going through says me old ancient person it can only be a good thing so that's the ballad of Jesse Wheeler I hope you watch it because you are Miss Generational Inspiration, and you deserve to be celebrating yourself no, and who you no, are. No, 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 Absolutely. no, I'm so every rosy and sweaty right now. Day. No, no, no. oh, it's not even a real award. Oh, it's just they gave me for fundraising. <laughs> Can't I just love you? Just listen to your toast. You are the fucking best. <laughs> now for the commenter, episode four. Um, I've got a few things wrong. Novak wrote and directed The Ballad of Jesse Wheeler, but it was very good for female performances and looking at kind of sex from a female perspective. So I'll give him that. This episode actually was directed by a woman, Daria Zook, whose debut directed feature was Belarus's entry uh, into the Oscars for Best Foreign Film, which is a fascinating start to a career. That was in 2019. Remember then? This episode was also co-written between Novak and Gia Tolentino, who is a writer at The New Yorker, who has written about the role of social media in the cult of celebrity. She also wrote a book called Trick Mirror Reflections on Self-Delusion, which I think very much speaks to the plot of The Commenter. The Commander is a really strange episode of TV, unlike anything I've seen. It hits on a zeitgeist moment. It talks about being young and gay in LA. And it's absolutely jam-packed with female characters that I barely remember a male character being on screen. There might not even be one. And it speaks so cleverly about the pervasive force of social media that I had to mention it on the podcast. In fact, this is probably the episode that made me think, wow, this is for Beyond Beckdale. It stars Lola Kirk and Soko as a couple who are really happy. They're both gorgeous and trendy and have an amazing group of friends and seem to be happy in their working lives and their family lives and with each other. Everything's good. And obviously, 
whenever you start an episode of TV like this, you know that something's going to come in and upend everything. And the thing that starts changing Lola Kirk's character's life is an Instagram comment on one of her pictures, a group picture, saying basically that she's faking her happiness and she doesn't realise that she doesn't have a good life and she isn't a good person, which I think is the kind of message that if any of us received, it would devastate us, particularly when it comes from an anonymous source that we can't track and we can't work out why they would want to say anything so horrible, even though we live in a world that's absolutely full of trolls and trolling. In the commenter, Kirk's character replies to the troll, tries to find out who they are, tries to get into a discussion with them. And what I really loved about the episode was where As time goes on, she starts to spend more time trying to please this anonymous person than she does live her life. And she starts to wonder whether she is doing what she wants to be doing or whether she's actually just conforming to a narrative. And it's such a cool topic to discuss because I think that we're so embedded in media, it's everywhere now, that... I'm not sure all the time whether I know exactly what it is that I want from life. I can say the things that I don't want, but I can also say that a happy life can have myriad different permutations and that even if I'm perfectly happy with how I am on any given day, I will see someone else in another country or out with friends or at a nice restaurant or taking the dog for a walk and I think is my life exciting enough should I be doing this why am I not traveling more do I get a dog and it just goes on and on and on and that's even when a person is happy and that's what I think I like about the commenter is that It starts from a position that not everything has to be a tragic story, but it also shows how our socials can corrupt and how devoted we are to other people's opinions, even strangers over our nearest and dearest. Soko's character is so in love with Kirk's character and doesn't question anything. She still uses social media, but she has more confidence in herself, perhaps, or more self-belief, or even doesn't think about it as much and doesn't worry about whether she's living the best possible life. And I think this is very much a mixture of the Charlie Brooker episode with all the voting on socials, uh, which I really loved in one of the latest seasons. And basically FOMO as a broadcast concept. I think having that female point of view through the female gaze and a female co-writer really comes out in the whole episode. I'm not even sure the commenter would have been made. Uh, And this is sexist because I'm going to make generalisations about gender. But I do think that Uh, White male patriarchy definitely gives the average white man, at least, a sense of self-belief and not doubting themselves. I remember talking to my boyfriend about whether he ever looks over his shoulder when he's walking down the street, worried that someone might attack him, and he says no. And I think you can also um, attribute that to how men and women behave online. And of course, social media is destructive to anyone and gender isn't a 
delineation of whether it's going to affect you or not. But I do think patriarchy and privilege do help in creating a baseline of self-belief that I think the average woman probably doesn't have, whereas plenty of men do. Uh, the, the episode is funny. It has really good twists, and I don't want to mention it, where Kirk's character decides to go and find the commenter and they're not who you think and they're not where you think. And I felt like there was a sense of resolution, but also a ha at the end of the episode, which of course is the point of the premise, turning everything on its head and making you think that you have one point of view, when in fact you might actually agree that maybe people are faking their lives for the purposes of social media and people aren't authentic and would it be a terrible thing to have someone call you out on your bullshit but perhaps not as a troll so highly recommend that episode uh, particularly for its unique female perspective on the pressures of faking authenticity do you know what would be of interest to me I'm not going to spend too much time on the last episode, which, by the way, is called Butt Plug, as it was also written by BJ Novak, but it was co-written by one of the staff writers, Lillian Yu. It doesn't have a focus on female representation. It covers race relations. And I like the idea of a female Asian writer writing about men because I feel like the other way round has been happening for far too long. The episode is also concerned with what we think we know about bullying. And it's, I would say, quite a controversial episode, but it stars Daniel Day Kim, who I absolutely love ever since his lost days, and Eric Lang. And basically... Day Kim's character had been bullied at school by Lang's character many, many years previously. But now Day Kim is a multi-million dollar entrepreneur doing very well for himself. And Lang is a little bit more down on his luck. He's also... Uh, has an entrepreneurial spirit but has wife and kids and uh, leaves his job and isn't very happy and so his wife played by Laura Cowett hopefully I'm properly pronouncing her name encourages her husband to work on the best possible butt plug I think this episode hit home because It made me think about my personal biases against things like sex toys being discussed on camera when obviously there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The episode also deals with whether there's ever such a thing as revenge or if you're smart enough or privileged enough, you can turn any situation into a benefit and also it just showed Daniel Day Kim doing some excellent acting. I don't really want to say much more about it because like with every episode of The Premise, I really can't do it justice by trying to explain it in the pod. I can only say there aren't many TV shows that make me sit and ponder my attitudes towards things and make me feel so 
much empathy for people who don't have the same views I have. And that's got to be a good way to live in the world in these polarising times. And did I mention that it's funny? The premise is funny. Yay, you've made it to the end of the episode. You can cleanse yourself of all that white male patriarchy by listening to some other episodes of Beyond Beckdale. You can find those on beyondbeckdale.com by searching for Beyond Beckdale, B-E-C-H-D-E-L, on anywhere you find uh, and listen to podcasts. Also, you can contact us at beyondbeck at gmail.com if you want to email so that's b-e-y-o-n-d b-e-c-h and you can also follow us and talk to us on twitter at beyond underscore beckdale i'm always delighted to hear from listeners whether you like something don't like something have some suggestions for future episodes i have some interviews lined up for the future probably out in 2022 i'm going to try and sneak in another episode on top tens best ofs that kind of end of 21 stuff uh and yeah here's to a new year thanks for making it this far and uh see you next time say so all the time.